Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we continue our series on the colony of Virginia during the Restoration. Today's episode starts in the year 1670 and explores Virginia through the eyes of and in the first-hand accounts of Governor William Berkeley. The Virginia colony was coming off a disastrous decade of the 1660s. The Navigation Acts limited trade to English-built ships with a three-quarter English crew requirement. The Staple Act required all trade from the colonies to go through England no matter the destination. The Second Anglo-Dutch War forced the colony to operate with trade convoys uh, to keep its merchants and ships protected. And the convoys did not stop a Dutch attack where several ships were taken or destroyed. All of this caused the price of tobacco to plummet. And then a hurricane practically flattened the colony. The Crown did not offer any help to Virginia, nor did Virginia ask for much help other than requests to send skilled tradesmen in new industries that England wanted Virginia to get into. In early 1670, the Crown does send word that it would like more information on the colony itself. It seems the Crown has been ill-informed as to the happenings of the colony. We saw this when they requested a fort be built in a totally inappropriate place. William Berkeley responds to the inquiry in a question and answer document where he answers each one of England's questions. When asked what councils, assemblies, and courts existed in the colony, Berkeley responded, let's have a look at the writing. There is a governor and 16 counselors who have from his sacred majesty a commission of oyer and terminer who judge and determine all causes that are above 15 pounds sterling for what is under there are particular courts in every county which are 20 in number appeals to assembly every year at least the assembly is called before whom lie appear appeals and this assembly is composed of two burgesses out of every county a good description there of the government structure in virginia another question asked what statutes laws and ordinances were now in force. Let's have a look. The secretary of this country every year sends to the Lord Chancellor or one of the principal secretaries what laws are yearly made, which for the most part concern only our private exigencies. For contrary to the laws of England, we never did nor dare make any only this, that no sale of land is good and legal unless within three months after the conveyance it be recorded in the general court or county courts. 
Now, Berkeley's answer raises a lot of questions from me. It appears as if Berkeley is a little defensive and wanting England to know that there's nothing going on outside of the regular process. You also must ask, though, how organized and informed is the English government? Uh, you know, it hasn't seen stability in decades, and if Virginia is sending a record to them each year, why are they unable to record it? The Crown asks what number of horse and foot the colony has. Berkeley replies that all free men are bound to military training, and there are 8,000 horses. Berkeley talks in his responses how the natives are not a threat, how there are no other European settlements near them, and there are no known privateers navigating the nearby waters. When asked about arms and ammunition, here's what Berkeley said. Let's have a look. When I came into the country, I found only one ruinated fort with eight great guns, most unserviceable, and all dismounted but four situated in a most unhealthy place and where if an enemy knew the soundings he could keep out of the danger of the best guns in Europe. His Majesty in the time of the Dutch War sent us 30 great guns, most of which were lost in the ship that brought them. So that ship must have gone down. Before or since this, we never had one great or small gun sent us since my coming hither, nor I believe in 20 years before. All that have been sent by His Sacred Majesty are still in the country, with a few more we lately bought. It's possible that the crown is not totally aware of how ill-prepared the colony is to defend itself. It's possible as well that they may not have been aware of the 30 guns going down with another ship, depending on the timing of things. But uh, clearly, Berkeley's answer shows that there's going to be issues defending the colony should there be a problem. The Crown asks about the funding of arms and ammunition. Berkeley responds, what little they have in money goes towards buying ammunition. When asked about industries, Berkeley answers that the colony is heavily reliant on tobacco, but silk was growing and that it would be the future export of the colony. When asked about population, so we're getting an idea here, population and census, here's what Berkeley says. Let's have a look. We suppose, and I am very sure we do not much miscount, that there is in Virginia above 40,000 persons, men, women, and children, and of which there are 2,000 black slaves, 6,000 Christian servants for a short time. The rest are born in the country or have come in to settle and seat in bettering their condition in a growing country. So there's a few things that we could figure out from that if, uh, if Berkeley is correct. Indentured servants outnumber slaves at this time, 1670, three to one. 
Berkeley is asked about the transportation of servants and slaves into the colony, and he responds that approximately 1,500 servants come to the colony each year, and there have only been two or three slave ships in the last seven years. Berkeley is then asked about the number of deaths on the plantations, and this has been a topic that has stuck around Virginia for some time. Let's have a look at what he says. All new plantations are, for an age or two, unhealthy, till they are thoroughly cleared of wood. But unless we had a particular register office for the denoting of all that died, I cannot give a particular answer to this query. Only this I could say, that there is not often unseasoned hands that die now, whereas heretofore not one of five escaped the first year. It seems as if escapes are a bigger problem than deaths in Berkeley's eyes, but he really kind of skirts around that question and says that a lack of a register is the reason why. Now, here is the question that Berkeley is asked next, and I'm going to quote it. Quote, what obstructions do you find to the improvement of trade and navigation of plantations within your government? Berkeley does not hold back. Let's have a look. Mighty and destructive by that severe act of parliament which excludes us the having any commerce with any nation in Europe but our own so that we cannot add to our plantation any commodity that grows out of it, as olive trees, cotton, or vines. Besides this, we cannot procure any skillful men for one now hopeful commodity, silk, for it is not lawful for us to carry a pipe stave or a barrel of corn to any place in Europe out of the king's dominions. Highly injurious to Virginia. If this were for his majesty's service or the good of his subjects, we should not repine, whatever our sufferings are for it. But on my soul it is the contrary for both. Character of the New England men who will break through it if their interests lead them. And this is the cause why no smaller great vessels are built here for we are most obedient to all laws, whilst the New England men break through and men trade to any place that their interest lead them. So not only does Berkeley mention the Navigation Acts being a big problem, he throws New England under the bus and says they will disobey any law. And by doing so, they create a further disadvantage to Virginia. Apparently, pipe staves, uh, they're tubes or tanks made out of wood. And that is what uh, counterparties are asking from Virginia in exchange for their skilled labor. But Berkeley sees the trade policies as prohibitive in following through with this. And you got to stop and pause for a second because sometimes things happen, especially if you're looking at economic history. There are very painful or poor policies that are put in place and people don't realize it until much, much later. Berkeley and the Virginia merchants seem to understand 
right at this time what the problem is, and they are communicating that to England. Berkeley is then asked, and I quote, what advantages or improvements do you observe that be gained in trade or navigation? Here's what he responds. None, unless we had liberty to transport our pipe staves, timber, and corn to other places besides the king's dominions. So right there, Berkeley is giving a solution to the problem. They basically need to be able to trade those items with foreign governments to get the expertise they need to further diversify their imports and help England's economy too. The Crown asks about duties, of which Berkeley answers about the two shilling per hogshed of tobacco, and he says that's the only duty being paid by the colony. When asked about the clergy and education, we get an answer that perhaps gives us the greatest insight into the mindset of Sir William Berkeley. Let's have a look. We have 48 parishes, and our ministers are well paid, and by my consent should be better if they would pray oftener and preach less. But, I thank God, there are no free schools nor printing, and I hope we shall not have these hundred years. For learning has brought disobedience and heresy and sex into the world, and printing has divulged them and libels against the best government. God keep us from both. So William Berkeley is not a fan of public education or a free press. He also does not seem to like a long sermon either. Later in 1670, Thomas Ludwell wrote a letter to England requesting that the country no longer send convicts amongst the servant class to Virginia. This letter starts a period of time where England does not send convicts to Virginia, so they, they follow the request, but that practice would return again in the 18th century. In June 1670, Berkeley writes to England that he appreciates the visit of former Governor Edward Diggs, who is helping the colony produce silk. Additionally, when the Auditor General died, Berkeley appoints Diggs to that role. So Edward Diggs is back in colonial government in Virginia, this time as the Auditor General. Now remember, Diggs was sent to investigate complaints coming into England from the colony. So I don't know how well that's going to work. According to the October 1670 General Assembly Minutes, Berkeley did purchase powder and shot at the price of 151 pounds. The assembly also dealt with the issue of runaway servants to Virginia. When a servant runs into Maryland and is detained, the Maryland government charges more than what the servant is worth to return them. 
Virginia finds this practice to be unfair, and the assembly asks the governor to write to Maryland to resolve the issue. Berkeley then, in June of 1671, writes a letter to the Privy Council, and in that letter he continues to plead for help in expanding the silk trade. Let's have a look at the letter. But my lords, had we some skillful men from Sicily or Naples or Marseilles that could instruct us a nearer and better way than yet we know, I speak it confidently in 10 or 15 years, we might make and send for England 500 bales yearly of silk. So it's a fascinating look at the colony of Virginia through the eyes of William Berkeley. He wants to diversify the colony's exports. He's really all in on the silk and continues over and over again, as we've seen to episodes prior to this, to make these requests for skilled labor. Will his efforts pay off? Will the colony find its way out of its current economic quagmire? We'll continue this journey next time on Historical Context. <music>